50% of the cases of recurrent miscarriage are unexplained, meaning that those women never have a clear reason why they continue to lose pregnancies. And you know, that unfortunately is the 50% that I fall into. There is a lot that still needs to be figured out about early pregnancy and about miscarriage in general. Been There Injected That is a TMI podcast about going through infertility and all the hormone injections, awkward moments, and nervous breakdowns along the way. I'm Elise Ash. Hi, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Been There Injected That. Today on the podcast, we have Megan Hansen as our guest. She is the co-founder of Recurrent Pregnancy Loss Association. Thank you so much for being here today, Megan. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to have this chat with you. So, Megan, can you first start by introducing yourself, you know, who you are, where you live, your profession, what your family looks like, that kind of thing? My name is Megan Hansen, and I currently live in Seattle with my husband and our incredibly hyper puppy and then newly disgruntled cat. (laughs) (laughs) What kind of puppy? She's half boxer and half Alaskan Malamute, so she's a big girl. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yes. She keeps me on my toes. Her new, uh, her new trick is she just learned how to counter surf. So basically now nothing is safe uh, oh in my the kitchen. Gosh. So that's our little family. And as far as professionally, I'm an amateur fertility blogger. So I have sort of my own personal infertility blog, but I am also the co-founder and volunteer president of Recurrent Pregnancy Loss Association which is a nonprofit organization that my husband and I started in order to fund research into causes of and treatments for recurrent miscarriage. So Megan, um, I'm hoping that today we can talk about these two different parts of your life. Um, I know that our audience is really going to want to hear about your own personal experience with recurrent pregnancy loss and also kind of your experience as becoming what you say, an amateur fertility blogger, which... I think we're all amateur fertility <laughs> bloggers. I don't think they're like professional fertility Instagram influencers. Um, we're all kind of like, is this right? Do, yeah. Does anyone care about this? Is this um, something that people are finding valuable? And then I do also want to talk about RPLA as well mm-hmm. um, and talk about why you and your husband and your whole team have gotten invested in this and your plans for giving back to the community. So let's start with you though, Megan, let's talk about your journey. When did it start? My husband and I started trying to build our family six years ago now, and it has been quite the, quite the experience. But when we started, you know, we were much younger. We were in our early thirties and we had been married for about five years and, you know, we had steady jobs and my sister had just had her first kid. So we were like newly in the aunt and uncle and um, we were, I'm, I'm using air quotes. You can't see me, but like we were ready. Right. Mm-hmm. And we got pregnant really quickly, which was amazing and unexpected. Cause I think anybody that starts to try to build a family in their thirties, it's like, you, you don't, you don't necessarily expect that it's going to work out that quickly but it did. So we were really, we were thrilled. And I did all the like early pregnancy stuff. You know, I downloaded all the apps and I was like daily looking and seeing what was going on and, and all that fun stuff. And my sister was telling me her recent experience. But then when we got to our eight week appointment, we learned that we had had a missed miscarriage. 
So we had a, what's called a blighted ovum, which basically means that the gestational sac had developed, but the embryo never started growing. Uh, and my body just had never recognized that that had happened. And so I didn't experience any symptoms of the loss. Uh, and so I ended up in that situation having to have a DNC, which is a surgery to remove the pregnancy tissue. And it was, I'm not going to lie, like it was incredibly devastating. I think uh, you hear this pretty frequently with women that have lost pregnancies. It's like, we all know that it happens. And yet somehow we never imagine that it could ever happen to us. So it's just shocking. It takes you completely by surprise and it, and it's an awful experience. Well, and Megan, especially also when you have no symptoms and there's no reason to think that anything would be off course, you know, you're, right. you're still so new to this kind of world and, maybe had heard one or two rogue stories of things going, you know, not according to plan. But in general, at the beginning, it's like, wait, what are you talking about? There's not a baby in there. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think on the one hand, doctors are kind of dismissive about a first miscarriage, but they were also really encouraging, you know? So they told me like, hey, unfortunately, this is very common. It was absolutely most likely that there was something chromosomally wrong with the pregnancy. And so it was my body's natural way of, you know, stopping something from progressing that, that wasn't really would never have been viable. And there was no reason to think it should happen again. And the best thing that I could do was just try again, which we did. So we, we gave ourselves a couple months and then we tried again and we got pregnant again really quickly which was really exciting again. And it was like, okay, cool, great. One, one time bad luck, on to the next. Had your feelings changed at all with the second positive pregnancy test? <sighs> no, not, I would say not at that point. I was still really excited. Like, okay, great. You know, like, yes, we had that bump in the road, but now we're back on track. So there was a little bit of heightened anxiety and fear, but it was still, I would say, leaning towards the side of just being really excited and thinking that things were going to work out all right this time. Like you'd already paid your dues and now- Exactly. Like, okay, exactly. cool, we got that out of the way almost and like, now let's focus. Uh-huh. And with that pregnancy, actually, you know, we, we saw a heartbeat, which was really exciting. And so, you know, we had that like, burst of joy of seeing the little flicker on the ultrasound. But then later on, I, I started spotting and then bleeding pretty heavily. And my progesterone levels, they, you know, they tested all my blood and everything. My progesterone levels were low. My um, HCG levels were not rising. And so I ended up, that pregnancy, I ended up just passing naturally at home somewhere between eight and nine weeks. Mm, I'm sorry. Thank you. Um, I think that's when things started to shift. You know, that's when I started to get a lot more like, okay, well, they told me that this was pretty normal to happen once, but now it's happened twice. You know, this seems like a pattern. Is there something more going on here that I don't know about? And are you, Megan, kind of um, more of like a data-minded, scientific, analytical kind of person, or are you more of like an emotional, not to make it so binary, obviously. Yeah. People are like all those things, but I'm just curious, like kind of mentally what you were going through and what you were telling yourself at the time. I, I almost think of my, like, think of it in blocked phases. At that point, 
I was still very much on more, like I, I would say I was more in the emotional side of it, um, having the emotional experience. I definitely went through a phase of being super focused on the data and trying to do like as much research as I could and engineer mm -hmm. my body perfectly so that it would be like the temple that could support a pregnancy. And, you know, I, sure. I went into that sort of manic phase of research at later stages, but at that point it was still a little bit more like, okay, let, let's, this sucks. This is awful, but let's try and, you know, stay positive And what, you know, what can we do again? My doctors were like, okay, well, this, this is terrible. We're so sorry good news here is we got some information from the blood results. So next time you get pregnant, we'll supplement you with progesterone and blah, blah, mm. blah. And don't, you know, get back on the horse. Like you can do it. And so we tried again. And this time we did not get pregnant for a really long time. So we tried for a year without having another positive pregnancy test. And then because of that ended up going to see the first of the fertility specialists that we worked with. So we saw a doctor in Chicago and she, we were living in Chicago at that point and she did sort of the full infertility and recurrent pregnancy loss workup. And they came back with stuff, but nothing definitive. You know, mm. it wasn't like, it wasn't like, oh, okay, here, we've clearly identified the problem and this is the protocol. Boom. You're going to be on your way. It was like, well, you know, you're, your thyroid levels are normal, but they're, they could be better. So we'll give you this, you know, we'll give you levothyroxine. Like, well, you don't really have PCOS, but we do see some polycystic ovaries. So we'll give you metformin. You know, it was just like, I didn't meet the clinical criteria for any one particular condition. And so I think that they were just like, let's just throw a bunch of medications at you and cover all of our bases. So that was, I mean, honestly, I think at that point I was, I literally was taking more pills than my like 98 year old grandmother. <laughs> 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 oh my gosh. And then like the giant big ass prenatal too, probably. Poor oh thing. yeah. And like daily, you know, like twice daily Lovenox shots, which are just like a, a dream. Um, so that was, yeah, <laughs> that was my phase of medicine. The third and fourth losses I think of almost together because they both happened in the same summer and working with that doctor and, and they were both, um, they're both, all of my losses have been first trimester losses. So they were both like relatively early and both of those I passed naturally, but I moved into like a very angry phase at this point. If I could describe like, what was the theme for this part of my life? It was just anger and frustration and like, F this, nothing's going to work. Like, this is stupid. I have no control. Why, why is this happening to me? And I didn't, know how much more I had in me. So that summer that we lost those two pregnancies, we actually moved from Chicago to Seattle. So I was going to need to establish a new care team in Seattle. And I actually remember in the very first appointment with my doctor here, I was like, I don't, I don't know if I can do anymore. Like, do you think that we should move on to other options? I felt pretty tapped out at that point. And both of my doctors have been incredible. Like they're both really smart, like wonderful, wonderful women. But my doctor here was like, you know, I think there are some additional things we can try. You, I hadn't gotten any of my pregnancies tested. And so she was like, okay, well, it's possible that you just, that it's poor egg quality and we can try IVF and do like pre-screening of the embryos and 
be successful that way. So let's try that. What was your attitude about IVF at that time? (laughs) At that point, it was like, whatever. I'll do whatever you tell me. Fine. (laughs) It was like whatever, whatever might work. Like that. Very resigned. Yeah. Very resigned. Like, okay, I guess we'll try this. It's almost funny because IVF is a whole process in and of itself, as, as many people know. But, you know, this is where I think things are a little different, maybe for recurrent miscarriage than people that are not able to get pregnant. Because I hadn't gone through some of the other standard infertility treatments. You know, I didn't take Clomid. I didn't do IUIs. Like we were doing this because it was like, okay, we think that it might be poor eggs that are contributing to having, you know, chromosomally abnormal embryos. We'll try to fix that problem. So when I went through the harvesting, I ended up with seven genetically pre-screened embryos, which is incredible. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. like amazing. And yet when my doctor called to tell me that, my reaction was, oh, so you mean that's not the reason I've been losing pregnancies? It's like I was so desperate at that point for an answer that I couldn't even absorb the good news because that is good news. Oh my gosh. Yeah, for sure. We had no normal embryos our first round. And I remember thinking like, wait, we couldn't have one? Like right, what right. happened? Yeah. I think that my my perspective was so skewed at that point because I was I was so desperate for just like the answer. Like, why is this happening? Well, and your your issue had never been creating embryos. Like right. fertilization. That had never been the issue. Exactly. And so we did um two rounds of IVF. We got pregnant both times and then lost both those pregnancies. The first one, we lost pretty early. The second one, that one really seemed, it was like, oh, finally, you know, six times the charm. We had seen the heartbeat. We were literally at our final appointment with the specialist before we were going to get like graduated to normal OB. And there was no more heartbeat. The pregnancy had stopped developing. And this is the doctor who, when I first sat down, I was like, I don't know if I can do this again. She was so lovely, you know, and she said, you guys have worked so hard. You've tried everything. This isn't your fault. And she's like, I still believe that you are capable of doing this, but I support you if you want to go a different direction. Mm -hmm. And for us, I think it was pretty immediate and like unambiguous, like both my husband and I were like, nope, we're done. We can't, no more. Yeah. We, we can't do this again. So at this point, we are hopefully using, we're like early in the process, but a gestational carrier to have our kid. But that is a whole nother conversation. That is a whole other conversation, <laughs> yeah. a very exciting conversation. And I'd love to like circle back in a few months and mm-hmm. maybe talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be right back. Whether you're looking for a good luck charm for your next IUI or getting a little something for your cycle buddy on Instagram, check out our online shop. Discreet hopeful beanies, rainbow sweatshirts, we've got you covered whether you're loud and proud about your journey or keeping it under wraps for now. Check out shop.fruitfulfertility.org to see all our fruitful merchandise. Now back to the show. So what is recurrent pregnancy loss and how is that medically defined? So the American Society of Reproductive Medicine or ASRM defines recurrent pregnancy loss as the loss of two or more clinical pregnancies before the 20th week. 
How common is recurrent pregnancy loss? So I've seen different numbers, but the most common statistic I see is that recurrent pregnancy loss or RPL impacts about one to 2% of couples. And you can kind of back into that. Miscarriage we know is unfortunately common. We know that somewhere between 15 and 25% of pregnancies end in loss. So if you just use those numbers, you can then estimate that roughly 5% of women will have two miscarriages and then 1% will have three or more losses. And when you say then, okay, well, 1% is really small, 1% to 2% of couples, like that's not that many. But then I like to think if you put that in the context of the infertility community, you know, the infertility community, it's one in eight couples. And, you know, so 12.5%. One to 2% of that is actually you know, 10 to 15% of the infertility community. So it is actually a large part, I think, of this space. So do doctors know why this happens? Like, are there common themes or diagnoses, or is it all, like, totally random? That's actually one of the main reasons why my husband and I wanted to start Recurrent Pregnancy Loss Association, because 50% of the cases of recurrent miscarriage are unexplained, meaning that those women never have a clear reason why they continue to lose pregnancies. And, you know, that unfortunately is the 50% that I fall into, but we really, there is a lot that still needs to be figured out about early pregnancy and about miscarriage in general. That said, there is stuff that's also known. And if you're getting evaluated for these things, doctors are really trying to put you into different categories so that they can figure out the right like treatment pathway and protocol over half of early like first trimester losses are a result of abnormal embryos meaning that they have too many or too few chromosomes and you know i'm going to pause here and just caveat i am not a doctor so <laughs> everything i'm saying right now is like megan's own self-education and um, also caveat <laughs> Every single body is different. So if you have specific questions about your body or your levels, talk to your care team. Yes, please, please. Um, So I'm just going to talk in generalizations based on like what I have learned and know. The majority of first trimester losses are because of embryos that have the wrong number of chromosomes. However, there are also a handful of reasons why some women might lose pregnancies, even if the fetus has all the right number of chromosomes. And those fall into a couple of categories. Sometimes it's because of like anatomical abnormalities in your uterus. Uh, Some of these things you're born with, like you might have a uterine septum or other things that make your uterus an atypical shape or other things might be, you know, stuff like fibroids if the fibroids are in particular places. There are some immunological factors, like some uh, antiphospholipid syndrome is one. It's like a blood clotting issue. There are also some endocrine conditions that can cause miscarriage, like hypothyroidism or hyperprolactinemia. And then there are some like parental genetic mutations that can cause, can result in those parents not being able to have a genetically normal child. So Those are kind of the big categories that they fall into. And then on top of that, you know, things we all know, like there are certain lifestyle factors like smoking or alcohol use or things like that that can contribute. 
but there's a lot there's also a lot of stuff that's still unknown is there a way to know why a particular miscarriage happened like after the fact there are ways to test the products of conception or poc they're called which is so clinical sounding to me. Oh my God, I know. It's like <laughs> the, you have to like dissociate so hard to even say I that. I mean, it's like what it is versus like what it sounds like is just so insane. I know, I know. No, so there there are ways to, to test. And actually I will say um, Fertility IQ has a really good educational video on this uh, if, if people care to watch it. And so what that can do is it can tell you like, it's sort of yes or no. Did the loss happen because that embryo had the wrong number of chromosomes? But if it didn't, that test isn't going to necessarily tell you why you lost that pregnancy. So it can be really helpful for your doctors in terms of like figuring out what the next best thing to do for you is, but it, it won't always give you the exact answer that you're looking for. What kinds of questions should people be asking their OBGYN or their RE uh, if they're concerned that they're either towards an RPL diagnosis or clearly have one? So a couple things that I will say is don't have any issue about seeking expert help. So if you're just working with an OB-GYN and you've had a couple early losses, it is, I think, perfectly perfectly okay after even one loss to go seek the help of a specialist if you feel like that's the right thing for you. So seek expert help. The other thing I'll say is uh, if you're going to do that, read the profiles of the reproductive specialists at the clinic that you're going to go work with. Because while all REs or reproductive endocrinologists are trained to treat uh, women that have had multiple losses, just like in any specialty, some people have particular interests in you know one area of medicine versus another. So I would make sure that you're going to see somebody who has either an expertise or a particular interest in working with patients that have had multiple miscarriages. In terms of questions, it, it's such a heterogeneous condition. It, like no two women are going to have the exact same story or treatment protocol. So I think I would just ask them or, or check that your doctor is going through the, the standard ASRM recommended workup to evaluate you from a recurrent miscarriage perspective. So I think you just want to make sure that they're doing the standard protocol of tests. But specific questions beyond that, I think are going to be really based on your personal case. What are some of the more emotional challenges specific to recurrent pregnancy loss? It's it, on the one hand, it's kind of hard for me to answer the question, like, because I'm like, okay, well, I can answer, I'll answer it from my perspective. Within the umbrella of recurrent loss, there are so many variations. But so I'll answer a little bit for what I know is common and then like what I felt personally. So there, there was a big study that came out in the UK earlier this year that showed that anxiety and depression were really common after miscarriage. And I think that this really only gets exacerbated the more losses that you have. But I think it shifts a little bit. Like for me, my first loss, I felt so deeply because I think it was just, it was shocking. You know, I was thinking about this in the sense of like, probably for parents, like going from no kids to one kid, it's like your whole world changes, you know? So that, that first loss, I felt so deeply. 
And I don't want to say that I didn't grieve my later losses because I grieved them all. But every subsequent loss was like a little less shocking and a little more hopeless. I think pregnancy became something that I was terrified of instead of something I was excited about. But I have a distinct memory of calling my mom after I found out I was pregnant for the fourth time and I like couldn't even get through the words without bursting into like hysterical sobs because I was just so terrified. It was like, okay, here we go again. This is only going to end in pain. And so it was, I really relied on other people to hold the excitement for me because I couldn't. The other things I think are really common, um, guilt is really common feeling for people that have lost pregnancies. Like rationally, I knew that it wasn't my fault, but it's happening so much inside of you. And we all want to think that we are in control of what's happening inside our body. And particularly when doctors can't give you answers, you know, then you start to wonder like, okay, my doctor can't tell me why this happened. Like, is it because I took that hike when I shouldn't have, you know, did I drink too much caffeine before I knew I was pregnant? Like you start to make up these stories in your head about, well, if I'd just done this thing differently, this might not have happened. So I think that's sort of a common experience. And then other stuff I think is probably a lot more similar. I mean, that's all probably similar, but a lot of the other themes, it's like, are common to anybody that's starting a family and can't, you know, like, I was super jealous of all of my friends around me that were having these babies and I couldn't. I was like angry and frustrated and, you know, stopped following people on Instagram that posted too many pictures of their kids and didn't want to go to Mother's Day celebrations and things like that. And I think that's just common to the community at large. I'm connecting with what you're saying because everyone's stories are so unique and different. And even if you had the same thing happen to you as someone else on the same timetable, you made the same decisions, like you would be reacting differently. Your, your support system would be showing up differently. Like mm-hmm. everything is so unique, but the themes are the same. Like the theme of my body is failing me. Why can't my yep. body do this? Like one thing that I've been built to do and I've been told exactly. since I was 12 should be the most natural thing in the entire yep. world why am I the only one dealing with this? Or like, why is this happening to me? Yeah. What does that say about me about a, what does that say about me as a woman? Like yeah. As a partner, am I disappointing my partner? Yep. Um, am I meant to be a parent? Mm-hmm. Kicks up so many of these really scary questions and fears and going back to what you were saying too, it just, I mean, it shows how we have no control over anything, which is the scariest lesson of all because- right we live in this world where we're taught, okay, look both ways before you cross the street, use your seatbelt, wear your helmet, do all the things you're supposed to do, live in constant fear and terror, and you'll be just fine. And the reality (laughs) is like, that's not true at all. And so I think it's interesting because you have people dealing with all different types of loss and grief. And some of it is very tangible and palpable. And some of it is you know, less seen, but still there. And everyone is just trying to like figure out their own shit and get through this. And there is no shortcut or easy answer or like top five things you can do. Like all that Buzzfeed shit just like does not exist in our world. And so trying to find ways to make sense of what's happening and process our trauma and find 
people who can help support us and lift us up when we don't necessarily have space for them. Like that's all we can really be doing. Yeah. I, I love what you said. Cause like about, you know, we're, we're all in a grieving process. Like I think miscarriage and infertility, even, even more this like disenfranchised grief, like this grief that you're experiencing really acutely, but that the rest of the world is kind of not recognizing or doesn't understand why it's such a big deal. Like, Oh, you were only pregnant for eight weeks. Like, why is it such a big deal? Or like, why are you so upset about something that, you know, Oh, well, it's not that big deal. You can always adopt, you know, like just this complete like lack of recognition of the process of, of like grieving and emotional work that we're trying to do. I, I think what you said is, is that was just spot on. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about RPLA, Recurrent Pregnancy Loss Association? What inspired you to create this organization? So simple answer is my husband and I started RPLA after our sixth loss, really because we did not want other couples to have to experience multiple pregnancy losses and go through what we went through. The mission is really threefold. Uh, So we want to become a a trusted source of information and support for people in the recurrent pregnancy loss community. We want to increase awareness of the prevalence of the condition and the impact of recurrent miscarriage on women and and their families. And thirdly, we want to support research that is aimed at finding causes of and treatments for the condition. Our hope is that by convening patients and the scientific communities, we can advocate for research that will give answers to couples and accelerate their journey to parenthood. How can people in the community get involved and help support RPLA right now? Like, what can we all do to help? Firstly, if you are interested and able, uh, make a financial donation through our website, which is www.rplassociation.org. So we're a young nonprofit. We incorporated in 2019. We are completely volunteer run. And so every donation counts. We really excitingly, we are about to fund our first research project. We're going to gift some money to a lab at Stanford University that's looking into genetic causes of unexplained pregnancy loss. Wow, that's huge. Congratulations on that. I mean, that's so exciting. It is super exciting, but we want to do more. So our goal is to raise $100,000 by the end of this year so that we can fund two additional studies next year. And we're about 25% of the way to that goal. So we've, we've got some work to do. Okay, Q4, you guys. We got yeah, this. So exactly. rplassociation.org. <laughs> yes, Hit it exactly. Up, give them some money. <laughs> exactly. Let's, let's get some answers. And then, you know, while you're on our website, sign up for our mailing list. Follow us on social media so you can find me at, at rplassociation. Tell your friends. And then the other thing I'd say is we are actively growing our board and our board committees. So if you have an interest in volunteering, DM me or email me through the website. We are in particular need of people with legal accounting and social media marketing expertise. And if there are any like doctors or scientists listening, we are also looking for additional medical and scientific advisors for our grant program. So we will add links to the show notes to RPLA so you can see how to get involved. You can see how to donate. You can raise your hand, you can email Megan directly, and let her know how you can help. Well, thank you so much, Megan, for being a guest. We'll link to RPLA um, so our listeners can get involved. 
thank you so much for sharing your story and for everything you've been through. Um, it's really incredible. And it's amazing how you've been able to turn all of this loss and grief and really tough stuff into something that's going to really tangibly be able to hopefully help other people. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure to be here. I know, you know, it's talking about a bit of a heavy topic. Um, if you'll just allow me to say to any women out there that are part of this community of recurrent miscarriage, you're not alone. I'm here for you and it's not your fault. Yep. Thank you so much, Megan. I really, really appreciate it. In There Injected That is produced by Fruitful Fertility and hosted by myself, Elise Ash. Thanks for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a rating and review, subscribe to get updates, and visit our website at fruitfulfertility.org. Thanks for listening.